How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to 19-Year-Old Shrink. This is Will John Grande. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Howard Bihar. So for 21 years, Howard was the president of Starbucks North America. And then as the company expanded, he became the president of Starbucks International. The first store outside of the US that was opened was in Japan. And the company started off with some very humble beginnings, only having 28 stores when Howard started. But with his help and his focus on servant leadership, and people being the reason for success, the company grew to over 15,000 stores in five different continents. Now, this company is one of the most well-known coffee companies out there, but for Howard, as the book title says, it's not about the coffee, and you'll hear why. And after hearing his journey and his life, and with the company on the Ed Milet Show, I'm very grateful to be able to learn from him today. So thank you so much for joining, Howard. Thanks for having me, Will. Yeah, definitely. So first off, can you just walk me through your life before Starbucks and how you became introduced to the company? I was born in Seattle. I was, my parents were both immigrants. My dad had a small mom and pop grocery store in the Seattle area. So I learned retail from a very early age. And that's pretty much what I stuck with my whole life. I went through from the, I started working when I was about 13 years old and, you know, little, little odds and end jobs pretty much worked until I was in my mid sixties. You know, I learned a lot from my parents, from, you know, family of origin stuff. They both were, like I said, immigrants, and they both came in the early 1900s to Seattle. I got interested in retail because of them, and and I worked in from furniture businesses to land development businesses. Everything had to do with consumer products. When I was about 44 years old, I was trying to, or 43, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, and I met this young guy named Howard Schultz. And he was kind of the modern day founder of Starbucks. He had been an employee of Starbucks, but he was able to buy the company when it had about six stores. And I joined the company about a year after he bought the company. And, and it was an amazing journey. I never had any idea it was going to become what it became. You're talking to a guy that barely got out of high school. I had a couple of years of community college. So I'm not, I didn't have a college degree, but but I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to join Starbucks. The rest is kind of history. I started when there were 28 stores and when I retired, there were 15,000. Who would have ever thought? Definitely. Yeah. And what did it start off as? It started basically as retail, no coffee by the cup. It wasn't until Howard Schultz uh, really bought the company that it really started to get into coffee by the cup. So other than that, we've been selling coffee by the pound spices, chocolates, coffee making equipment, tea, things like that. And Howard basically changed the rest of the business to more of a cafe, just a straight coffee retail business. So, and that is really what drove to this. You talk a lot about servant leadership. I read your book. Where did you learn these values of servant leadership in your upbringing? Well, most of it, you know, came from my parents about how they treated other people and how they served others. And they didn't, we didn't, it wasn't called servant leadership then. It was just living your, you were living your life and being a kind person and a generous person. So it came from that. Then when I was in my mid 20s, somebody introduced me to some work by a guy named Robert Greenlee, who coined the term servant leadership. And he'd written a number of books on it. And so I started to read those books and I started to get really interested in it. I thought, hey, this is, this is me. This is who I want to be. And so I, I went on that journey to be what I call a conscious competent, somebody that understood it and could teach it. And that's what I did. And that's what I brought to Starbucks with the idea of servant leadership, that we were primarily here to serve. 
no matter what role we have in life, it's always about serving another human being. Whether you're a doctor, lawyer, fire chief, architect, barista, it doesn't make any difference what you do. It's always about serving somebody else. Going off of that, you've talked about, I think you wrote 2,500 letters a month for like company yeah. anniversaries and like birthdays. Can you talk about the importance of still writing like handwritten letters? Because I know in today's society, everything is sending things electronically or thank yous over email. What was your motive behind being able to write those letters and send out those cards to people? Why people should be doing handwritten letters? Well, when I was doing it, there was no internet, so there was no, <laughs> no choice. Uh, you know, I always think getting something that somebody has written something in, you know, that comes through the mail, seems to have a little more high, high touch. And it doesn't mean today, in today's world, I think we all use technology, you and I do it, send birthday cards electronically. But I was trying to show people that I cared about them, that it was we, were, we might be becoming a big company, but it was still about individuals and still about people in the organization. So I'd send out birthday and company anniversary cards to everybody in the company until we hit about 10,000 people. <laughs> then, I, then, I, then I started signing it to other people. I kept doing it, but just a smaller group again. And it was amazing about that. I've been retired for 12 years. There's people that still have those cards. They've had them for 25 years and I've kept them all this time. It's, you know, most people never even get a birthday card. And so it, it was a way of honoring them as human beings. And that's what I did. That's what I believe in. Yeah, and you only, it only takes a couple minutes to do one card, but it can definitely impact people for 12 years. Yeah, there's nothing like getting a handwritten card or a letter or a note, nothing. Definitely. Thank you note or whatever it is, you know, it shows that you took the time. Exactly. Going off of your company, people being the drivers of success and your employees buying into the idea of Starbucks. And, you know, for companies that might struggle with hiring people, they might hire the wrong people. How did you as Starbucks, when you have such a small sample size, when you're interviewing someone and you might not yeah. necessarily have been doing the interviewing, how do you kind of gauge this person is the right fit? And what advice do you have to companies that have had struggles with hiring the wrong people in the past and how to get through that so that they can match that one hat that you were talking about in your book? Well, it's you hire to values first, not to knowledge. You can teach people a lot of things. It's hard to teach people good values and hard to teach people that it's about people. And so I always focused on that primarily is who, who were these individuals as human beings? How did they, how did they deal with human problems? And those are the kinds of questions I'd ask. I'd ask a question, name a person that you had a disagreement with and how did it get solved? What do your parents like about you? What don't they like about you? What does your brother or sister like about you? What don't <laughs> they like? What do your parents wish you would have become versus what you became have become? And you know, that's where I focus. And then then skills second. When you're hiring people, you're hiring people's values and who they are as human beings. Then secondarily, you're hiring for their skills. So would you say that when you were in those processes, it was more like about like seeing if they had the potential, because if they had the values and they had the ability to be taught, you would be more likely to bring them on as an employee. Yeah. Yeah. Because the biggest issues in organizations are how people work together, how people get along, how they achieve things together. And those are, it's the human stuff. That's always the most critical stuff. 
social emotional learning, they call it. Exactly. One of the things you also mentioned was how, and a lot of people don't know this, and I remember hearing this on the Ed Milet interview with you, is about the aprons and the different colored aprons that employees have. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really cool and unique thing that Starbucks does. Well, it's primarily as the green apron as everybody wears. And then if you become an expert in coffee, then you get to wear a black apron. And so that it, it's it's showing that you have achieved a certain level of competence in that area. So those are the, basically the two things. And that's what we were trying to do is recognize the people that put in the work to really learn a lot about coffee. It's almost like the reticular activating system. Once you're told that you start to actually like realize it. If you have like a certain car, you start to see it all on the street. And now like every time I go to Starbucks, I can kind of be able to, you know, notice that and pick that out easy. Basically. I haven't heard those words, reticular activating system for a long time, but it's <laughs> true. It's amazing how you go buy a car and then all of a sudden you see it all sorts of car, cars just like yours driving down the street <laughs> exactly exactly um and another really big quote of yours that you use is the person that sweeps the floor should choose the broom can you yeah. talk a little bit about what that means and you know letting go of that control and letting people who are experts in certain places make those decisions for themselves i think that's definitely for you said something about people who are in higher positions want to have control and it's sometimes tough to give up that control. I think it's very good to diversify and like it allows you to be successful. So if you can talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I used to say everybody in the, everybody in the company got to vote and that, that didn't, people couldn't understand that. So when I changed it to the person who sweeps the floor should choose the room, people got that. The point I was trying to make is that when you hire great people, give them the opportunity to, to make decisions in their areas of expertise. Who knows more about sweeping floors than the person who does it? Who knows more about what kind of broom to choose? And I use that as a basic metaphor, but basically hire great people, give them room. So they're going to make mistakes. So what? You know, you don't let them bet the farm, but you know, you have to have trust in people. And when you show that you have confidence in people, then they grow as individuals, they grow as professionals, and they feel better about themselves and they want to do even more. But when you're constantly trying to control them, then they don't, then they're always pushing back. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing with parents raising kids. You've got to give room for your kids to grow and to make mistakes. Was there ever a moment where you felt that it was tough to let go of control? When I let go of control, it didn't mean I didn't observe. I didn't pay attention. It depends on what it was. You know, if it was something and that was really critical to the business, you know, I'd pay attention. I'd have them report back to me on how, where they were and what was going on. But it didn't mean I was trying to tell them what to do. I was just trying to observe where they were and what was going on. Yeah, there. Were, I mean, certainly there were times when I gave trust and a person wasn't up to it. And then I stepped in to help them. But, but I'd rather not do that. My first methodology was to, to give them room. And when you're in that place where everyone's buying in those company values, but let's say they're struggling to make money, they're struggling to do these things, and they're at a place where they're saying, I want to focus on that. But right now, it's about making that that extra money and about that thing. What would you say to a person to steer them in the right direction and to focus on those values while still being able to provide for themselves? Living your values and making money shouldn't be in conflict with each other. You have to live your values at the same time you're making money. And we all have to, you know, have resources so that we can live, we can eat, we can have a roof over our heads, clothing on our back. 
And so I understand that. Some people work to live, some people live to work. And there are differences. The issue is how do they how do they do it? Are they kind to people? Do they care about others? You know, or is it all for them? If it's all for them, then it's not going to work. You know, because other people won't want to work with them. You know, you're trying to develop a team. Putting the two together, it's not either or. It doesn't mean you love everything about your work, but you should like your work. You shouldn't be working for any organization or any company that you don't like. You know, I mean, it, it's it's awful painful to do that. I feel like there are a lot of people out there, and you're you're more likely to do better with the work you are and actually make more money if you do like the work that you're doing. And, you know, as you refer to it, it's the people business serving coffee, not the coffee business serving people. Going off that, you probably had a lot of moments where there were there might have been people that didn't fit the company values. And like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means they're not the right fit for the company. But it's tough to please everyone. Was being in a position where you couldn't please everyone tough to adjust to? Or was it easier for you? And if so, how did you adjust to doing that? And for people that are struggling to like feel like they need to please everyone, how do you recommend they go about letting go of that belief? You can't please everybody. You have to do what you commit to do. Performance counts, right? People are people and everybody kind of comes from a kind of different place. And the idea of, of pleasing everybody, meaning that you'll never do something that somebody might disagree with, is impossible. doesn't happen in this world. So, but, you know, if your boss asks you to do something, you agree to do it, you should get it done. If one of your friends says, hey, let's go out and have some beers tonight instead of studying, you know, you may say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I may not please your friend, but you're doing what you need to do for yourself. And I think you mentioned, I think this is one of the most important things that, that separates the average from the great is you decided to go into that role. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you like your initial time with Starbucks, what I think you had, like a, you told Howard Schultz, give me like a week. Basically, you didn't have as much experience and you weren't perfect out of the gate. But a lot of people think, oh, I have to have a lot more knowledge. I have to have everything figured out before starting something or starting a new venture, or starting something new. And I'd love to hear about your experiences early on, how you evolved and why people shouldn't focus about being perfect before starting something because I think that the the greatest people out there are the ones that just jump right into things, you know, obviously with reason, but jumping into things and, you know, not being afraid of not having all the answers. Well, you know, there's, there's a saying about you got to be able to get out of your comfort zone. And at any time you take on something new in life, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. It means you're going to be uncomfortable and you have to get accustomed and, have the ability to deal with being uncomfortable with ambiguity, so to speak. And so I did. I, I didn't, what did I know about the coffee business? But I knew about people. And because I was a believer in servant leadership and people, then, you know, I could learn the rest of the stuff. But I came with the right set of values and the right belief system. And that added value in how I could affect the organization. And that's what I did. But yeah, and Howard and I had our disagreements about different things, but we worked through them over time and, and that's the way it was. But I, I believe you got to bet your job every day for the things that you believe in. And that's what I did. But, but I, you know, I, I had never run 15,000 stores before when I did it. I didn't run them, of course, somebody else did, but, but I never led a group that big. And so I had to learn as we went. 
you know, and I did. And was I good at everything I did? No, but I'd hire people that were better at it than things than I was. And so I surrounded myself with a great team and the things that I wasn't so good at, they did. Things that they weren't so good at, I did. And that's how you build a team. Complimenting your weaknesses and then... Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, without Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan might not even been as <laughs> close to as good. Yeah, no. And growing up for you, on a personal note, was there ever anything that you had doubts about, about yourself? Yeah. And was yeah. what would one of those things be that you ultimately overcame and you might not have thought that you would have necessarily? Not having a college degree. I thought that it would really be limiting and people were a lot, lot smarter than I was. And, and I, it, it took me a long time to get through that. But yeah, I look at, I was insecure. I didn't, I didn't believe in my, I didn't really start believing myself. I was in my thirties. Yeah. I mean, until I really got comfortable with, with my own skin and, uh, and then I did, but didn't, you know, we all have our insecurities, you know, we're all af afraid of failing. I'm not doing a good enough job or something like that. And all of us have that stuff and it's how we get over it. And I worked through it over time. By the time I got to my course, I had believed in who I was and, and what leadership was all about to me and what my values were. And I was going to live my life like that. I always believe you got to live your life with intention. You know, if you're just floating around all the time, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there, so to speak. And so I always try to do that. I had very specific goals from the time I was in my late 20s to what I wanted to accomplish in life and who I wanted to be. I had my values written down. I had a mission statement. And, you know, I, I lived my life according to those things. What was your mission statement? Well, at that time, I wanted to be one of the most, most well-thought-of leaders in the home furnishings industry. Then by the time I joined Starbucks, I changed it to I want, every day I wanted to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I plagiarized that from <laughs> some work we did at Starbucks. But that became my mission statement is nurturing and inspire the human spirit of myself and others. It seems like you've uh, you've definitely done that for yourself and for other people. And what is one thing that you're personally doesn't even need to be about Starbucks necessarily. But what are you personally most proud of yourself and the life that you've created? Uh, how I've helped other people grow. I'm most proud of the people that have left Starbucks and gone on to do, done great things. I'm proud of my kids for what they've accomplished for my wife what she's accomplished. And, you know, they're all a lot smarter than I am. They all have masters or PhDs. <laughs> so I'm proud of how I've helped other people. Yeah, that's definitely great. That's great to hear. And I think it was Max Dupree mentioned right. the idea of running 95 yards in the 100-yard dash where you don't complete the last five. And then the serious runners visualize a 110-yard dash so that no right. one will overtake you before you reach the finish line. What That's are right. some examples of this, not only with how you handled Starbucks, but also your personal life? And, you know, just going into that concept, I think it's definitely, I never even thought of it that way. I always heard just run as fast as you can for the hundred, but then you sometimes slow down for the last five. Yeah, you're bringing up all sorts of stuff from my past. <laughs> so he wrote one of the great books, leadership books, a couple of them. Anyway, I, I set goals. I set big goals. Didn't know how I was going to achieve them, but I'd set big goals. How much money I wanted to make, uh, what I wanted to do with my life, what I wanted for my kids, what I wanted for my marriage. And I'd set big goals. And, so, you know, lots of times I didn't achieve them. 
or at least in the time frame I wanted to. But but I always was had those goals pulling me towards them. You know, when you don't have any goals in life, then you're kind of just floating. And so I did that. And, you know, I wanted to be able to retire by the time I was 50. Did I make it? No, but at 59, I was there. That was when I was 30 years old. I said, well, I didn't have any idea how I was going to make it. <laughs> but I did. And because I had that out in front of me. Definitely. Yeah, I always um, am interested. And it definitely made me reflect on my own life and where... I want to go being 21 now. I know my podcast is called 19 year old shrink, but I've doing, been doing it for a couple of years now, but it's definitely made me think a lot more. And I'm glad you put that in the book as well. One thing I'm also interested in is that you talked about a lot of the time that you had a lot of meetings for Starbucks. And I think it was Sunday night. Was it Sunday night that you and uh, Howard Schultz and Oren Smith or one of like you Monday, always met? Monday nights. Monday night, Monday night. Um, you all met and talked about different things. What were some of the conversations that you would have, you know, about and what are, you know, the results that you kind of got from having those meetings and building that trust with each other? Well, you know, we are the three that had responsible for leading the company. And, you know, we would talk about the business. We talk about what was going on with people. You know, it was time to just be together in a kind of a downtime, not so much intensity about the, you know, working in the business day. And it was a time when we could put our insecurities, our fears out on the table and talk about those things. And, and uh, it was a time when we would support each other. And there are happy dinners and sad dinners. You know, there were dinners where we were excited about the progress we made and dinners where we were fearful that we weren't making it. And so they all kind of went together, but they allowed us time to really get to know each other outside of the business. Definitely. And you talked about the sad times and the happy times. Yeah. One of them being, I forget what year it was, but unfortunately, an incident happened at one of the Starbucks stores and a couple of the people involved were you know, shot and killed in the stores. But I think what was interesting was your response to how this happened. And you weren't focusing on like, oh, what the business is doing, but more so how the families are doing. And talk a little bit about that. I know Howard went down to DC. I think that's where it happened. But yeah, I love to hear about right. that because I think obviously in the good times it's really good. But hearing about how you approach the bad times is also very important. So just if you want to talk a little about sure. well what happened was we had a store in Georgetown, Washington, Washington, DC suburb. And what happened was is somebody came in to hold up the store and killed a barista, a store manager, and an assistant store manager. We had never had anything like that happen before. So Howard happened to be, I got this call at six o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, my time, six East Coast time from the area vice president. And he said, we've had a catastrophe. And I thought, well, a fire or something like that. I had no idea what he was going to say. And so he told me what happened and immediately got a hold of Howard Schultz. And Howard happened to be in New York. He immediately went to Washington, D.C. And instead of worrying about the story, you know, the reporters were there and they were asking all sorts of questions. He says, I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you. And immediately he went out to visit the families of the three partners, what we call employees, partners at Starbucks. He wasn't there. He didn't own it, but he owned it. He said, you know, this my your kids were my responsibility and something happened and I'm brokenhearted over it. And we ended up closing the store down. And then when we opened it back up again, we gave all the profits to anti-violence in Washington, D.C. And 
And then we ended up having a, a huge ceremony and service for those kids. It was just a disaster. I mean, I had never in my wildest dreams to ever think over selling a cup of coffee. Three young people would lose their lives, but it happened. And it was for the company. And it couldn't have been anything worse. And we, we understood that it was we had to take care of the families first. We had to take care of the people that worked in the store, you know, because they were emotionally distraught. And we brought in psychiatrists, counselors, and everything to help as best as we could. When I read that, I was very shocked that that happened. But I think how you handled it was very, very good. And it definitely stuck with like what your core values were and being people first. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And one other thing that I think the quote, people won't always remember what you did. People won't always remember what you said, but people will always remember how you make them feel. If there was one word to describe the feeling that you wanted to make people feel and what they felt when they walked into Starbucks, what word would that be? You're talking about when a customer walks in? When a customer walks in uh, or, or when an employee walks in, honestly. I want them to feel cared about and appreciated. That, that they're loved because they're a human being and they're worthy of love. Sounds like a strange word to say in business, but I believe it, that it's about love. And you have to love the people you're working with and you love the people you're serving, even when they're not nice to you. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the one other thing you alluded to earlier on was with not being college educated. And I think for people who might not be college educated now, some words of advice to if they feel insecure and have that similar insecurity to you, how they can kind of, you know, prioritize also being able to learn those skills in experience and not always just in the classroom. And I think that's very valuable. And you've seemed to have ended up well because of that. So I'd love to hear wise words about that. Well, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I, don't, I think a college degree isn't about what you learn in college. It's about how you learn to learn. And, but, but having said that, uh, you know, uh, you can't do it without a high school degree. And you, if you're going to do it without a college degree, you got to be willing to pick up the cigarette butts. That's what I say. You got to be willing to do the jobs other people don't want to do. And so that you learn. And if you're curious and you read and you get good mentors along the way, which I had, you know, it's amazing what you can learn and how you can grow. And I was always curious and I was always a learner. I wanted to learn things. And so that's how I, I just did it in work instead of going to school. I had a couple of years of community college, which helped, you know, certainly. But, but I think that if you're committed to what you're doing and you're passionate about it and you're persistent, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Definitely. I think that for me going forward and learning that and being a lifelong learner, it doesn't stop here. Although my academic career technically in college is done after this year. I think just being a lifelong learner is really important. And do you have any last words? Like I might not have covered anything that you think is important that people should know about your life, about your experiences um, that you'd like to say here. Well, it isn't about me. It's about the people and live your life with intention. Time goes by fast. When you're young, you think it's going to be forever. And when you're 78, like me, you realize how fast it goes by. You want to wake. You, you don't want to wake up when you you know you turn whatever age. When you get in the in the rocking chair in the nursing home and think, "Gosh, what did I do?" You want to be able to answer that question. 
I lived life, my life the way I wanted to live it. I accomplished most of the things that I wanted to accomplish. And living your life with intention is an amazing feeling. Set goals, be conscious about where you're going and why you're going there. Thank you so much, Howard, for you know being able to talk to me. And if people wanted to reach out to you and wanted to learn more about your story on their own, is there a place that they could reach out to you? Yeah, there's my email address. It's hb at howardbehar.com, hb at howardbehar.com. And my cell phone number is 206-972-7776. I may be slow to respond, but I'll always respond. Yeah, you've definitely, and he definitely does respond. And I'll definitely be sure to put those in the show notes. But Howard, I just want to thank you so much. I've learned a lot from you and really appreciate you taking the time to you know, talk with me and allow me to pick your brain about certain things because being able to hear about your life experiences is truly inspiring. So really appreciate that. And for all of you guys, if you want to reach out to me, my Instagram page is 19 year old shrink podcast. And my personal page is WJG 23. But thanks again, Howard, and have a great rest of the day, everyone.